Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I can't believe we are already in December. For the last month of the year, I am bringing you a two-part episode with Jennifer Agnes, Managing Director at Sinozure Group. In this first part, Jennifer shares how she moved from risk management to a career in data. She then moves to talk about how to build and maintain a strong network. You will hear about two different ways of building your network, communities and one-on-one meetings. You will discover the role played by networking communities like the CDO Hub and how they benefit members who invest time in them. You will also find some advice on how to approach one-on-one networking conversations and make their relationships last over the years. Towards the end, Jennifer covers how she blended her desire to give back and help others build a network and grow in their career with her day-to-day role. I will meet you back afterwards to give you more details on part two. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you today. We have been chatting offline for a while now, doing some coaching, doing some mentoring and loads of great conversations. And I couldn't wait to to have you on the podcast. Today's topic is going to be around networking and establishing your network. But before we get into that, can I invite you to introduce yourself? For sure. For sure. I'm happy to be here. Really glad that we got to know each other over the past few months, Karen. It's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, I can introduce myself. So Jennifer Agnes, I am the managing director of Sinisure Group US. I'll tell you maybe a little bit about Sinisure to start with, and then we can go into a little bit more about me. So Sinisure is a people-led data and analytics strategy company. And what that really means is that we help people and teams go on the end-to-end journey of defining their data strategy, all the way to actually executing and implementing activities to enable that data strategy. Our service model basically has four parts to it. There's an advisory component, which is helping our clients and and people really get value out of data with the data strategy, you know, what needs to happen to be successful. We have a design and build pillar, which is really focused on um, the tech space where we help architect solid solutions for modern data management. We have a maximized pillar, which helps us and our clients get value out of the data and tools. So we help create teams, define new ways of working, modernize the way we work together, operating models. And then, of course, the grow piece, which you're familiar with, around helping people grow with coaching and helping the next generation of data leaders grow into their full capacity. And and that's part of my favorite stuff to do. Data strategies are really fun <laughs> to do, but I really, and, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, really love talking to people, getting to know people and helping them be successful. That's funny because when we first got in touch, I think what really intrigued me was the data strategy part of things, because this is something I, I don't know how or why, but recently I've got so much more curious about 
these parts of data analytics and that's how we we got in touch because I feel like we're both very keen on development and helping other people develop in their roles. We we just ended up going towards that direction more than, yeah. than the initial one. So yeah. And, and what about you? Who are you? Oh, I forgot about that part. Yeah, me. So I am um, a longtime data person, which I, I didn't realize I was going to be that. I started as a risk manager doing sort of underwriting and, and a lot of work in banking and financial services for many, many years. You can look in my LinkedIn profile if, if people want to click at that. But I spent about 20 years at GE Capital doing risk management to start with, but ending up as a data operations leader and, and running the enterprise data warehouses for the headquarters and doing a lot of regulatory reporting. And that's really how I transitioned from risk management into data management was because I making risk decisions you're relying on the information and data that you have to make investments or whether it's generating reports for regulatory purposes or investor reports, it's all about the data and the content and making sure it's telling the truth about what what you're operating at. And so I became very passionate about data. Then over the years after moving into data and, and building out this data operations management program, ended up in the CDO space because that was the next step is that's when the, the term, you know, chief data officer sort of developed. And I ended up at, took a great job at, at Credit Suisse for a couple of years as the chief data officer working for the group chief data officer, but I was the chief data officer for finance and risk data, which really in that space, when you're trying to, you know, everybody's got the underlying same data, but trying to figure out who the owners are and the definitions and getting people to converge on a single definition for the right purpose is quite a challenge. Um, but that was a great learning experience at, at Credit Suisse. And then I also spent a couple of years at a French energy management company called Schneider Electric. Great company, great place to work, and was their first group chief data officer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a, a new role for them and built a lot of foundations, brought in some great people and helped them structure how they wanted to work with data and learn more about it. That last stint was in France, actually. And then I came back to the US, as I like to say, sort of the day before COVID. Nobody knew it was COVID. And I came back to the US and was trying to figure out what my next role was going to be. And that's how I reached out to the CEO at Signature, Jason Foster, and started having a conversation with him over the period of months. And that's how I, I met Signature or re-met Signature and then started with the CDO hub, which I can, I can tell you about in a bit as well. Uh, but that's really how it all started. So I, I came from risk management, went into data because I cared so much about the process and the content, and then ended up choosing in my, in my next gig, having worked for many years in corporate environments, moving into a consulting role, which I am thoroughly enjoying because I get to meet so many people and I get to hear about whether it's coaching or advisory work, right? Strategy or, or coaching type activities, hear about what makes people tick and where they're, they're struggling and what's, what they're doing well, and then collaborating to find a way to, to propel that and make that even a better situation for our clients. So I'm really, really enjoying the, the consultancy side of it, which who knew? You know, I thought I was a corporate girl, but. That's nice. And I think I remember telling you at some point that I've only met people who've done it the other way around. So starting in consulting and then going corporate. So this is quite refreshing. And you mentioned the CDO Hub. What's that? The CDO Hub. So this is a community um, that was started by Synergy Group probably back in 2018 or so in the UK. It was an in-person 
activity that was held sort of behind closed doors with people that cared about data, mostly senior, you know, senior executive type data leaders, CDOs. And they were getting together once a month to have a conversation about a topic they cared about, not only about data, but leadership and human resources and people and all sorts of topics. I was lucky enough to be invited to one of those events because I happened to be in London at the time. And I just thought the forum was really interesting and intimate and and really helped uh, meet some people that way uh, and learn about topics that I might not have had a a one-on-one conversation with a lot of people about. And so when I came back to the U.S. in, in 2020, and I was here thinking, you know, the day before COVID concept, I reached out to them and said, what do you think if we tried to do something like that in the U.S.? It's much bigger. We're not all going to New York City once a month to do this. We're, it's a, you know, it would have to be a, a nationwide thing. Yeah. And now we're virtual because of COVID. What if we try to do something through my network here and see if there's some interest in having this type of intimate conversation, but we do it over Zoom? I really feel passionate about the relationships we build in that group. It has to be very trusted. You know, we, we say Chatham House rules or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We, you know, we don't record anything and we don't invite vendors. So there's no sell. And I always say we don't invite egos because <laughs> <laughs> we want to have like open and honest conversation. There's so many smart people out there that know so much, but you have to be willing to give and take. Uh, one of the guys in the group coined it at the very outset. One of the founding guys, uh, Brian Paul, said it's kind of like a cooperative because you get out of it, what you put into it. And therefore it's much more of a community event than it is a one person show and tell type of thing. I feel like since I, I started working in the data space, I've seen more and more communities being born and all obviously networking events have always been around, but all these communities having their own events and all the networking going on. Now there is Slack, so everybody has a Slack channel where they can exchange. Why would you say communities are so important? Well, I mean, I think they're more important than ever, especially since we can't physically or we had a a two-year stint where we couldn't really physically get together anymore. Um, I think communities are important in so many aspects, not just in data, right? I mean, it, it, it is a way to build your knowledge. It's a way to build relationships. It's a way to make new friends. It's a way to learn about new technology, what's happening in the industry. I think our community in particular is different than a lot of the larger, bigger sort of open communities because of its criteria for, you know, the conversation and and the willingness to share um, ideas and learnings with other people and and be receptive to other ideas, right? It's the community is this give and take. And and I like this word I said earlier, a cooperative. Mm. It's you get out of it what you put into it, right? A community you can join and sort of follow along anonymously and sort of just be there and observe, you know, observe and maybe not partake. Our community or our cooperative is really about being actively engaged. I've been working for a long time in the sector and I've got a lot of friends and and colleagues and teammates that have grown up in this area. I feel now part of my role is to pay it forward, right? And these communities let experienced people meet up with people that are just coming into the role and share their knowledge, share their experience, try to maybe make it less painful, share some hot spots, what to watch out for, what's, you know, what to look for. 
help people find new jobs. I mean, there's so many outcomes you can get by having a strong community. But again, you only get out of it what you put into it. It's super important that you it's equitable, you know. And so <laughs> you obviously have a, a very strong network and I've definitely seen firsthand the, the power of a community, uh, especially with the women in data community in the mm-hmm. UK. And but something I, I'm curious to hear your your point on is how do you build a network? So you're one person and you would like to to grow your network and get all these amazing benefits that that you mentioned where you were seeing, you know, getting a new job in building these connections that are going to open your mind to new ideas and learn more about the, the industry and what's going on. How do you go about really building a very strong network that will support you in your career? Such a good question, but it, it well, I, there's a couple different angles we can take on it. We can take the angle of if you're an extrovert, it's not really a problem. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're out shaking hands and kissing babies or something or a politician, I guess you could do it that way. But if you're an introvert and I might show up as an extrovert occasionally, but I'm, I, I get my energy from, you know, inside, not from outside. So I, I consider myself an introvert. And that for me, is a hard thing to do, right? To, to just always be on and meeting people. But the value and the energy I get from meeting people one-on-one is my type of um, way of building relationships and building that network. Now, you know, you can't, you, it's hard to build a network the day you get out of college, right? I mean, you've got your network from your buddies from college. You get a job, you create that network through building trust with the people you work with. Then you change a job and you still stay in touch, maybe not as intimately or as much as you did when you were working with them, but that is a multiplier effect. You either stay in the same company, a new role, you're going to meet more people, change companies, get a new role, meet more people, but you have to invest time in maintaining those relationships and then be strategic about areas you want to learn more about as well. So, you know, you might branch into a new type of community or new topic and push yourself to go into a something that's not as comfortable just to start to meet a new crowd or a new concepts and, and learn something new and expose yourself a little bit. You have to be able to say, hey, I don't, I don't know about that. Can you help me? It's really about finding people that are willing to converse with you so that you learn about them, not just professionally, but there's such a personal connection to the network. Um, it doesn't mean you have to wish them happy birthday every year, which is always nice to do, <laughs> but, or know every, you know, their kids' birthdays and that kind of thing. But there is a personal connection that has to happen in order for you to continue to expand that network and the willingness to work together in the future. So I've, I've been in scenarios still, still am today where I could call people from five or six years ago and they'll love to help me because of the relationship we established back then. But again, it's the type of people that you're interacting with that you have to pick and choose because not everybody is that way, right? The human nature isn't, isn't all the same. And, and we want to, you just have different personality types that may not be willing to do what I like to do, which is pay it forward. I think of my superpower. I think we talked about that is like paying it forward. I've been working a long time. I want to help people be successful in data um, and in their careers beyond data. I want to help them build their network. I mean, that's, that's a way to do it, right? I, I, you and I talk, I can introduce you to a friend of mine who I think you'd get along great with. Next thing you know, they've got two friends. It's, it's kind of like this old commercial that 
it was a L'Oreal commercial from many, many years ago where they were telling about hair color. And if you told two friends and told two friends and so on, there'd be a whole, <laughs> a whole <laughs> network of it. It's the network effect, right? The network effect is something that you should be aware of at, when you're starting out in your career and, and know that what if you look back on it, what is my network? And, and I actually had the opportunity, Karen, to look at that when I came back to the US and started the CDO hub. I was like, who do I call? Like, I worked with these people for many, many years. I'm going to reach back out to them and see if they want to be part of this community. And it's been so much fun because we've reconnected. We've, you know, they've skipped two jobs and went somewhere else. And, and it really is an investment in time and energy to, to create that network and keep it going and find the right people and identify the right people who will help you continue to, to make that happen. You mentioned a few times the investment in time and so, something you said was really the time commitment to maintain these relationships. It's easier said than done, I, I guess. Everything you said, I'm nodding and I'm saying, yes, I, I see that so the personal touch, being personally involved with these people so that you have this connection that makes them want to chat with you again and make you want to chat with them again because you don't want it to be just transactional, right? You want a, a proper relationship. And I'm thinking how many times I've been on, on coffee chats or met people somewhere for a drink or in a professional environment and showing that, you know, we have this, maybe not ongoing because you don't want to be talking to someone on a weekly basis. That would be a bit too time consuming, but making sure that you maintain this relationship so that, as you said, if you want to reach out maybe in five, six years time, you still have a solid relationship that you can rely on. How do you do that? Do you have any tips? Yeah. Be cognizant about it when you start that conversation with somebody. I mean, they're thinking the same thing you're thinking, right? A lot of the times you think you're alone trying to build your network, but in fact, that other person is like, oh, Karen's a good networking person for me. Let me let me make sure I know. So, so they're in the same boat as you. What I like to do is to be open about it. Hey, this is part of my network. I would love to stay in touch with you. I know it's hard to do that because you're busy and I'm busy, but is it okay if in three months we get on another call or that if in five years, I, I mean, it's kind of a fun conversation to have hmm. five years from now, will you take my call? Ask them that it opens up a different conversation to just a drink and oh, let's schedule time next month. And then that never happens. And a month goes by and six months go by and six years go by, but say it up front. It's kind of a, an awareness thing. I like being open like that. Some people might be put off by that because it's too, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is for it, but putting it out there and making them aware and, and you'll find that it's a common need almost, right? And you can then you can design the relationship based on that if it's a new one. Now, I think it's easier if you've worked with somebody for a very long time to call them up. You've moved on, you call them up, you know, you knew you left on good terms, there was a good relationship, they'll take your call anyways. But if you're trying to create that new model, just say, do you mind if I call you in six months and then book it and take notes, by the way, the other thing is take notes. Write down what they said. Yeah. And what you talked about and what your feeling was about it, or, you know, like take notes. It's just good to reread the context that you met them in, what was happening with you. And it helps connect the storyline, which is the memorable part. I like that idea. You mentioned several times that you like to give back and then help people either with progressing in their career or with their network. This is something that I feel like is deep in your personality, but also in your job now. 
So you've actually managed to make it part of your job. How does that work? How do you make it part of your job? I guess what I'm trying to get to is this is clearly important to you. So mm -hmm. how do you, how, when did you decide to make it part of your job and why? And then how did you do it? Okay. So I would say that this era of my job right now as a consultant, it's definitely part of the services that I described earlier about helping to grow communities and leaders and that kind of thing. So it's definitely part of the offering. But I have been very interested in helping people grow, I think as far back as I can remember. And so as I got into leadership roles and managed teams, I always felt the need to connect personally with my team and understand what motivated them or what motivates them and then help them be successful in a way that as their manager, as their leader, I, I could help them do that, whether it was through the feedback sessions we would have either, you know, quarterly, annually, whatever the, the schedule or however we decided to go about doing feedback and really thinking about offering them ideas on what they could do better or where they could get training or based on what I know they wanted to do. So again, it's about building relationships. And then I, I just sort of baked that into my leadership style. Here's a secret. I know it's out in the public domain now, but I'll tell you anyways. <laughs> I once applied for an HR job because I felt <laughs> so passionate about like helping people be better. And they're like, you can't take an HR job. You have no, you have no skills in HR. I'm like, but I do. I do. I, I was certified as an executive coach. I want to do it. And then I was like, you know what? I don't really need to just do only that. I can do the business part that I like and the data and the risk management that I was doing and bake in that coaching and mentoring. And, and a lot of companies offer a mentoring program or a coaching program internally, and you volunteer to be part of that network. So there was no reason to sort of separate the two because I could do both and be very happy doing that. And yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what my teams think of that. I don't know if they'll. I love that. And I actually, I was speaking with my manager earlier today. While I was speaking with him, I was thinking, but am I trying to do some HR things here? <laughs> so because it's very similar, right? All these wanting to develop people is always associated with HR. While I feel like it should be the role of everyone in the organization. So I definitely see what, what you mean. And well, well done for applying for that HR position because yeah. it, it takes courage to to do something different, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I failed at that. They were like, "No, we don't, we don't need you in HR." I'm like, "Fine, I'll do my own HR. I'll, I'll be my own. I'll get a, a certification in coaching and help people inside and outside wherever I can." So that's where, you know, you're not you don't don't limit yourself by what other people think. Obviously, you can you can really blend it together. And I'm glad you found that too, because you get a lot more out of your your day job when you can help other people not only deliver your objectives, but help other people grow. I think that's that's been my passion. And that's a, a perfect way to to end this first part of our two parts episode. As promised at the beginning of the episode, I am bringing you a bit more details on what's coming next in part two of this conversation with Jennifer. While we usually publish episodes every other week, this month is an exception because, well, it's the end of the year and we are all looking forward to celebrate. Hopefully, it's going to be better than last year. But tune in next week to hear Jennifer talk about the steps to build a data strategy and address the right business questions. Here is a peek into the conversation.
setting a data strategy is and has to be tied to the business strategy. Like there's really no two ways about it. You've got to understand what you're trying to do to make the business grow. I mean, there's like three things like grow the business, make, make more money, manage costs better, optimize costs or reduce risk, manage risk, right? Those are sort of the three simple levers that we're always trying to strive for, for success. And a data strategy has to help support those three sort of primary objectives. And that is through what we use as sort of the six pillar approach. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.